announced before Christmas the theme of today's teaching, When We Never Get to Hear, I'm Sorry. And as I sat through yesterday's workshop on tackling tough conversations with truth and kindness in a toolbox, I wondered if the timing was right, especially for those who attended. But I decided to stay with this theme for this morning. And the passage of scripture that Matthew read for us is a call on Isaiah's life to volunteer to go as a messenger to God, for God rather, to God's people. Send me, he says. And that sounds simple, but there's so much more to the story. I'm going to ask you to put a picture on the screen of a of toothpaste on a plate. Yeah, many of you may have seen this already. Story of a young girl who was going into middle school and everything was ready for the big day, but it was the night before and the mother gave her daughter a tube of toothpaste and asked her to squirt the toothpaste all over the plate. And when finished, the mother calmly asked the little young girl to put the toothpaste back into the tube. And of course she said, I can't, can't do that, and it wouldn't be like it was before. But it was a lesson of a lifetime for her, and the mother told her daughter, you are going to have the opportunity to use your words to hurt, demean, slander, and wound others. You're also going to have the opportunity to use your words to heal, encourage, inspire, and love others. And just like this toothpaste, once the words leave your mouth, you cannot take them back. Use your words carefully. It's not a message so much this morning on the tongue, but it is on hurtful words. And we need, when we need to say... And also when we need to hear, I'm sorry. So back to Isaiah's story. Isaiah has total recall of a significant event in his life, and he ties it to an historical event. It was the year that King Uzziah died. Some of us do something similar, significant events in history, and we might go way back to the 60s, and well, that was that year when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Or some might remember the year 2000. Oh, we turned into the new century, and we thought everything was going to crash. It was that year. Or maybe just before, shortly after 9-11, and this happened in my life, or that took place. And all of those big news items, but Isaiah remembers that it was the year that King Uzziah died that he saw the Lord. We often think of Isaiah's original call to ministry uh, as this being rather an original call, but biblical scholars feel that it was more like a recommissioning of Isaiah the prophet. It was a, a transition time, and we're very familiar with that word here. But things had been good. But now there was an era of threat that was developing, a domination by world powers. So we find Isaiah there in the presence of the Lord. And it says that the train of God's robe just filled the temple. And I often picture that and I pray into it in sanctuaries, that the train of his robe would fill our sanctuary. And then it says that the voices of the seraphim, and those are the heavenly celestial beings, and they were singing, holy, holy, holy. And it wasn't God's voice, it was their voices that shook the temple to its foundations and filled it with smoke. What if we were to worship that way, holy, 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 to the point that this place started to shake? And in that presence, 
where Isaiah was, would be holiness and pure love, majesty and power, all that God is. And it was in that presence that Isaiah came face to face with himself. Verse 5, he said, it's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live with people with filthy lips. Well, that's quite an admission. I have filthy lips and I live with people who have filthy lips. You know, in the 10-step programs, I'm going to use Alcoholics Anonymous as an example this morning. People stand up and they say, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic. And with that admission, they get support from other alcoholics who are there. And they share their struggles and their successes and their failures. And they sponsor one another and they see each other through. And I find it so sad that we as Christians are so reluctant to do much the same. If someone got up this morning and just stopped me from speaking any longer and said, Pastor, people of Emmanuel, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic or a drug addict or a foodaholic, I'm addicted to porn or I'm a workaholic or I've cheated on my marriage. We'd all have to get out some oxygen masks, wouldn't we? Trying to get our breath. Corporate intake. You just don't say things like that in church, do you? But my question is why? Why not? Why is it that we cannot confess who we are and get support from others as we all are together? So I'm not going to ask you to do anything like that, but what if I asked you to say out loud this morning with me, my name is, and I have felt the lips. Doesn't necessarily mean that we swear like a trooper, but it could. Doesn't necessarily mean that we lie and have lying lips, but it could mean that. It doesn't necessarily mean that our lips spread the filth of gossip and criticism and negativity, but it might. It doesn't necessarily mean that we spew out harsh and unkind words and have an angry temperament, but again, it might. But we all have regrets. And we all know that we have said things that have hurt and have cut and have discouraged. So I think the teaching this morning is for each and every one of us. We need to be reminded as well that it's not just what we say, that sometimes it is what we do not say. And we also know that there have been times when we should have said kind words and given praise and encouraged someone and taught and mentored, but we did not. We kept silent, felt the lips. So Isaiah knew it. And it wasn't so much a recall of specific regrets in his life. It was there being in the presence of God that made him realize And that's where we really see a mirror where we can look at ourselves in the presence of God. But hear the rest of the verse. He says, I have filthy lips. I'm amongst people who do as well. And yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. The importance of the little words in our vocabulary and scripture, little words like if and when and then and but, everything can change and pivot on those little words. And in this case, that little word of yet. Isaiah is so overcome as he looks in that personal mirror and yet, he says, 
And yet, I've been allowed to see the Lord. What a positive way to continue our message this morning. May we hear and learn and know that we can get to see the Lord ourselves and be in his presence. So as we look at our message title this morning, when we never get to hear, I'm sorry, the question is, who is the we? Very often when we read our Bible and we see the word you and we think, okay, that's just for me individually, but not always. Quite often, it's you as in you all. So this morning, when we never get to hear, I'm sorry, who is the we? I'd like to look at four areas around that of the we. And the first, we are made in the image of God. So God is one of the we. When we never get to hear, I'm sorry, I believe this morning that that includes God himself. Isaiah was there in God's presence and he said, I am a sinful man, and he was overcome by that. And God heard him say it, a way of saying, I'm sorry, Lord. But we recoil against that, don't we? In our culture, men and women are so individualistic, so self-sufficient, and we defend ourselves against that kind of a confession. And we compare ourselves and we say, I'm just every bit as good as so-and-so. But that day, Isaiah was there in the presence of God, and there was no one except God. No one to compare himself with. And so it is with us. If in the quietness of our hearts, if we would get alone with God, will we say, Lord, it's not working all that well for me, not this way, because I know that there's so much more. I know there is, and without you, I'm missing it, and I'm sorry, Lord. I confess that, and I want the joy of the relationship that you have for me. But it must break God's heart when he never hears it from us. Not because he wants to judge us. He wants to set us free and have a relationship with us and us with him. And have so much more, so beautiful and true and genuine. For just realize all that Jesus has done for us. That he's taken it all on himself and believe in him. And believe that through him all the filth is gone. And we stand perfect. In God's presence. That's God's longing. When I'm doing marriage preparation with couples, I usually use the work of Gary Chapman on the five languages of apology. We need to learn what we need from people when they apologize to us, but also what a spouse, a loved one, a friend, maybe a fellow church member, what do they need to hear in the way of an apology? And there are differences, and there are five. Sometimes we need to hear someone express regret. I realize what I did, and I wish I hadn't. We need to hear someone take responsibility and not give us excuses. We need to hear someone say, I'm sorry, and mean it, genuine. We need to hear someone say, will you forgive me? Or perhaps we need to hear, what can I do to make it right? Five ways of meaningful apology that some of us need to hear, others need to hear from us. So going to number two, when we never get to hear, I'm sorry, who's the we here? I believe it's that person who needs to hear, I'm sorry, from us. Someone in our family, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, someone here at the church. 
Who is not getting to hear, I'm sorry, because you and I won't say it? Who needs to hear you or me say, I regret what I said to you? I take responsibility for those words, no excuses. Responsibility for my tone of voice, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And what can I do to make it right? In Matthew 5, verse 23, we have Jesus' words. He says, if you're offering a gift to God, if you're sacrificing anything to God, and you happen to remember that your brother or sister has something against you, not you angry at them, but they have something against you, if you remember that, go first and be reconciled. Well, today is Communion Sunday. What if we put our act of communion into that verse? Jesus says, remember my death, my crucifixion, by taking the bread and the cup. Do this in remembrance of me. But before we do, what if he reminds you or me that we need to make things right with someone? If we took that seriously, I wonder how many would stay for communion. Or how many might get up out of their seat and go over to someone else here and say, before I can take communion this morning, I have to tell you I'm sorry. Number three, when we never get to hear I'm sorry, who is the we? This time it is us. There's an old saying that has been changed. It used to be sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me or names can never hurt me. Today we say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will cut me deeply. Maybe words said to us straight on, face to face, maybe just one-on-one, maybe in more of a public setting. Or maybe something that someone has said about us and that gets back to us secondhand. And we're hurt and we're angry and we defend ourselves. But then it starts to escalate in us and we start to judge them. How dare they say that? And then we start to pick out their bad points. And well, she's a great one to talk. I could say a lot of things about her. And then we start to tell other people what that person has said about us. And then we want to start to get even. So many reactions because a wound has been inflicted and we react because we haven't heard, I'm sorry. Matthew 18 is a passage about when a believer hurts another believer. It's been said that we are the, the church is the only army that shoots its wounded, so our Bible has to have things about conflict uh, amongst Christian brothers and sisters. Matthew 18 is indelible in my mind now. It goes back to when I was being examined on the uh, ordination board, and I knew about how to handle conflict within the church and amongst believers, but I wasn't getting the question that the examiner was asking me. So he tried to help, and he said, well, the Matthew 18 passage. I didn't know the chapter and verse. I just knew about the scripture. Well, I know it now. It's Matthew 18. Matthew 18 says, and Jesus says here, if there's a conflict, go to that person alone, one-on-one. Well, that's easy, right? Somebody's hurt you, just go to them and talk to them about it. Wrong. Most of us would rather have a root canal. (laughs) It takes a lot of courage to go and say to somebody, you've hurt me. Next step, Jesus says, if that doesn't work, take someone with you. Well, that might even get harder. 
What if it turns out that it really was my fault in the first place? What if I end up looking like the bad guy in this? This could backfire. And then Jesus says, if that doesn't work, take two or three more and then take it to the church. And that becomes a level of church discipline. And that is something that we don't do much anymore and don't do well if we do try. Because people feel that no one has a right to hold them accountable for their behavior as followers of Jesus. But when we say one thing and we're doing another, it's hurting the whole church and it's hurting the witness of Christ. But such a huge caution. I'm not going to go down this road very far, but we never do any of this in our own strength. We go with the love and the mercy and the compassion of Christ, not to prove anybody wrong, but to bring reconciliation. A wise pastor When he was thinking, he'd kind of put his finger up beside his nose and tap his face, and he'd say, don't lose them to the kingdom. Don't lose them to the kingdom. So God has to lead us in all these things very, very carefully. We have to be listening. But what if it does work? What if you go to a believer and you've been hurt, but that believer says, I'm sorry. What do we need to do then? We need to forgive and really forgive and let the relationship be restored. Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? And Peter thought he was being very, very generous when he said, how about seven times, Lord? Is seven times a good number? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. In other words, forgive until you lose count. You can't count anymore. There was a woman who washed Jesus' feet with tears and she dried them with her hair and she anointed his feet with a rare perfume all because she was so overwhelmed by his love. But Simon, a religious leader, criticized it all. So Jesus said, Simon, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver. It was a lot of money to one, 50 pieces of silver to the other. Neither one could repay, so he forgave both of them their debts, canceled them out. Who do you think loved that man the more? And Simon, I'm sure, begrudgingly said, well, I suppose the one who had the larger debt canceled. And Jesus said, that's right. A person who is forgiven little shows little love. We have been forgiven much. We need to show so much love. So surely when we hear, I'm sorry from someone else, our answer has to be love and forgiveness out of the love and forgiveness that we've received. Number four, sometimes we never get to hear, I'm sorry. When I was a teenager, a friend's mother was passing away and their marriage had lost its love some years before. In the last hours of her life, my friend's mother asked her husband why he had stopped loving her. And he just stood there and he wouldn't answer. She never got to hear, I'm sorry. And I was only a teenager, but that has stayed with me all these years, the pain of never hearing, I'm sorry. And I heard a Jewish man speak just a few years ago. He was a survivor of the concentration camps. And his story was graphic and it was horrific. But more than once he just shook his fist and he said, I will never forgive. I will never forgive. No one had ever said he was sorry to him and nobody's ever going to. And he continues to be eaten up by his anger and his bitterness. When we never get to hear, I'm sorry, can we forgive anyway? Jesus went to the cross. 
Judas had betrayed him. The religious leaders who had constantly questioned and criticized him now have finally succeeded in having him crucified. The soldiers mocked and slapped him and spit on him and pounded the nails into his hands and into his feet. A terrible execution. Not one of them said, I'm sorry. And yet Jesus was able to say from the cross, Father, forgive them. And I think that's the key. In our own power, it's often impossible for us to forgive. Father, forgive them. If we could pray, Father, help me with this, I don't know how to find it in my heart to forgive. The hurt is too deep, but you can. Forgive them for me. Forgive them through me, even if I never get to hear, I'm sorry. So four areas of forgiveness. When God doesn't get to hear, I'm sorry, because we don't say it. When others don't get to hear, I'm sorry, again, because we won't say it. When we face conflict, we take steps to try to hear I'm sorry from someone else and to understand and to try to reconcile and from that being willing to forgive. But also when we never get to hear I'm sorry, but with God's help, through him, forgive someone else. Many of you um, did the devotions, enjoy the silence for the 30 days leading up to Christmas. I was motivated by the meditation on this particular passage of Scripture. So thoughts and research came out of that devotion. Isaiah, God's prophet, had to go through all of this before he could say, God, here I am. Send me. Use me. He may be speaking to some of us here this morning to prepare us for a new journey and a new work. And in that book, there was also a devotional from Jeremiah where God promises a new covenant, and he says, I will remember their sins no more. And the devotion said, God chose to forget. And in a moment, we will remember the ultimate covenant that God made with us through his son Jesus. When we accept Jesus as Lord, all is forgiven. God chooses to forget. Our majestic, almighty, all-loving, all-merciful, all-knowing God making that choice for us. I don't know how to end on a more positive, joyous, life-changing note. I will forgive and I will remember no more, God says. I will be their God and they will be my people.